0: On this February the 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2022, I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Wednesdays, we've been taking a look at the book of Proverbs. We're going to be taking a look at chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. Solomon has 10 addresses to his son. This is the sixth address. And it's advice for living a righteous life. So what is Proverbs all about here? Well, God is wisdom, particularly Jesus Christ. And so through wisdom, we learn how the universe has been created and how to live in it to have a full life from God's point of view, not from man's point of view. And so this particular section is very interesting since it talks about how, well, God wants us to listen to his words and uses the parts of the body to talk about what wisdom desires us so to do. In other words, what's it going to be like in heaven? we're going to all have physical bodies after the resurrection of the dead from the grave. And when we have that physical body, then we're not going to have a problem at all in doing what God wants us to do because we're going to have a new spirit, a new body. So, verse 20, My son... Be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Uh, Another way of saying that is, pay attention to my words, and open your ears to my sayings. What Solomon is talking about here is more than just hearing what the father has to say to the son. It's actually listening with agreement. We've talked a lot about how you'll tell a child to do something and you leave the house, you come back, and he didn't do it. And you ask him, did you not hear me? And your son will say, "Uh, yeah, I heard you. But he didn't listen. He didn't pay attention. And so... What the book of Proverbs is about is God wanting you not just to hear his word, but to pay attention to it. This is, if you take a look at the Ten Commandments, gives us a great insight. I can't believe how many times the Ten Commandments are misunderstood by the general public. What do I mean by that? Well, I was taking a look at a court case on YouTube. It was a real court case. And the man could be put to death for what he had done. He had committed first-degree murder. And his lawyer was talking to the jury. And he said, no, you do not want to give him the death penalty because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Now, this was amazing to me that this lawyer who has a degree in being an attorney doesn't understand what that commandment means. Because does that mean that soldiers are wrong when they go to war? Does that mean that people who are in a house and defend themselves from individuals who break in and are ready to shoot the family, that they are wrong to defend themselves? Of course not. That's why the new translation is, Thou shalt not murder. Because there's a difference between murdering and killing. We don't consider that when we have a hamburger, that's because We have murdered a cow. No, we have killed a cow, but God gives us permission to do that. In other words, what murder is, is taking the life of another individual without God's permission. And it's clear from Romans 13 that capital punishment is, if done in a just way, can be possible. And so the jury went ahead and declared the man to be put to death for the crimes he had done. He had killed about eight people. And so he was put to death in the electric chair. But what we need to realize is the commandments have specific meanings that many people are ignorant of. And when they're ignorant of those meanings, then we find that they have not understood wisdom. So the scripture is actually an expansion of the Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments, it is not a way by obedience that God becomes your God. He's already your God when the Ten Commandments are given to Israel. I am the Lord your God. You want evidence of it? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, when you have that relationship with me, I'm already your God, then you will not worship other gods or idols. You'll not take my name in vain. You'll remember my Sabbath day. You'll honor your father and mother and the rest of the commandments. So what Proverbs is doing through Solomon's talk with his son is giving an insight of God talking to us. We are to pay attention to his words and open our ears to our saying. Verse 21 of chapter 4. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Now, what's that referring to? When something escapes from your sight, it's as though you've lost it. And when you lose God's will, then you follow the will of Satan. And that is because your old Adam is really very, very powerful. It's the work of Satan within you, tempting you and causing you to sin. This is why in our liturgy, we indicate that we are poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. So how come we don't receive those? since that's what we deserve, because God is gracious to us, which means he does not give us what we deserve. He is merciful toward us, which means he doesn't give us what we deserve. In other words, we receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, not because we're doing better good works. No, in fact, you can't even do a good work until after you have been saved. And so this is what Solomon's doing in Proverbs, talking to his son about what wisdom says, that let it not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. We'll be talking more about the heart in a few moments. Verse 22, For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Uh, Another way of translating that, healing, is and healing for their entire body. Yes, they are life. And that life doesn't just include life here on earth. Although for the Christian, eternal life begins when they come to faith, or at their baptism. We talk about that, that even with an infant, you take the child from the kingdom of Satan, and he's placed into the kingdom of God, which is the Holy Christian Church. And that life continues, even when a person dies here on earth. Their body may be buried in the ground, but their spirit has ascended to heaven and is with Jesus awaiting the day of judgment when the body will be resurrected from the dead to rejoin the spirit. And there you will have total healing of all your flesh. Just take a look at the book of Revelation where there's no more pain, No more suffering. No more sickness. No more death. Because we're going back to the Garden of Eden prior to the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And because of our new bodies and new spirits, we will never sin. Not even by thought, let alone by word or by deed. That's what life is all about. So, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Now, the word keep there actually can be translated as guard your heart with all vigilance or diligence for from your heart flows the springs of life. Well, what's that talking about? Well, it's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that is received as a gift from God in order for you to have faith and be converted. It's not that your heart is the spring of life. But from your heart is the spring of life. And that's referring to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is the source of your life. And that's very clear from the Bible. That in baptism, read Romans chapter 6. And you'll see that in baptism, not only are you crucified with Christ, not only are you buried with Christ, not only are you risen from the dead in Christ, but you're also ascending to the right hand of God in Christ. That's all in Ephesians. Now, how is that possible? Uh, Have we really risen to the right hand of God? Well, remember one of the metaphors that Jesus uses through the apostles is that we are part of the body of Christ. We may be a hand or a foot, but Christ is the head and wherever the head is, so also is the rest of the body. So when we pray to the father, we pray through Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. He is the right hand, which means he is the one in charge of our destiny, of our future, and also of our present. And he has many, many promises that takes care of us. So, guarding your heart with vigilance means that you protect your heart from doing wrong things. And verse 24 talks about wrong things. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now, there's real advice for living a a righteous life. It's not that you should stop doing bad words or bad jokes, but you are to put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Why? Well, just look at television these days. You hardly see a movie where, not, where there's not swearing in the name of God. When children watch that, They become acquainted with these words, and since they're on television, they may start using them at school, and when you start using crooked speech or devious talk, especially with so-called friends, then you are moving away from what God has so intended as to how to live in this universe. So stay away from individuals who like to use crooked talk. I was watching a YouTube, and it was real programming, real filming, of people who got really angry with other people in traffic. Maybe they were cut off. And we had sound, because a lot of these cameras in the car that show near accidents or accidents also have sound. And I was listening to it, my wife was in the kitchen, and one of the gentlemen was so angry, he used swear words one after the other. And my wife was listening and she said, turn that off. And of course I didn't expect that such words would be used but they were, and you could just tell this man was really angry, and he was ready to beat the other person up because he had been cut off or something. So you put away from you crooked speech. Then verse 25, Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Now what's that talking about? Well, God doesn't want you to be distracted. You know, somebody gives you, and I'm not very good at this, when I'm driving in traffic and we're trying to go to a location, and we stop and we say, how do we get there? And then they give directions. Well, you go two blocks, then you turn right, then you go a block and turn left, then you come to a circle, turn around, and it gets so complicated I can't seem to follow it for some reason. Maybe I got the wrong directions or maybe I wasn't listening. Or my eyes were not directly distinctive towards what the directions were. So you got a new car and guess what it has? Is a map. In fact this is really quite an amazing situation. All I do is I push a button over by the steering wheel, and I tell them where I want to go, like downtown in St. Louis. And they hear that, and all of a sudden I have a woman that's telling me how to get there. I mean, that's really quite amazing. I still haven't figured out how to do that, but we've used it a number of times. We've had traffic jams, got off the highway, and wasn't quite sure just which way to go to get where we were going. And, of course, that's good for anywhere in the United States. So when I'm going to a church I haven't been at, I'll often put it into this map situation. And it will keep me looking forward. I won't be distracted. I just listen to what she is saying. And she's very specific. She'll say, well, in 200 feet, turn right at the intersection. And then she says it again when you get to the intersection. How they know this is going on is beyond me. I'm not that scientifically oriented for those things. But it keeps my gaze straight. Then verse 26 says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. That reminds me of John the Baptizer. Remember he had people who are on high hills or deep valleys, referring to the fact that the high hills hills meant, boy, they had a lot of pride in what they were doing. And the valleys, well, they were depressed. So, John the baptizer straightened up so they had a level road. That's the path that Jesus talks about, that narrow path to heaven. It's the narrow road of faith through him. Then all our ways will be sure. You see, that's a promise that God makes when we follow his advice through the commandments, etc., but we're sinners. And so a lot of times we do what verse 27 says not to do do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So we're finding this among young people that maybe at high school or college they get involved with a crowd and maybe they want to break into a home and steal. Well, you feel good because these people want you to be their friends. Maybe you haven't had friends, and so you kind of join with them. Plus, you're going to make some money out of it, possibly. And so these are temptations that Satan gives us in order that what? That we might listen to him rather than to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I said when we began this, that this is really Solomon going through the parts of our body. In other words, in verse 20, pay attention to my words. That means use your mind according to the will of God. Then right after it, open your ear to my sayings. And so use your ears properly. Don't just hear from God, but pay attention and incline your ears to the sayings of God. Then verse 21a, it says, let them not escape from your sight. There it's talking about how you use your eyes. Keep them forward. Keep them watching what God wants you to do. And then in 23, guard your heart with all diligence. Guarding the heart means to stay on the path of God rather than moving to the right or to the left. And then put away from you crooked speech. So that's your tongue that it should be used properly and not be around people who are misusing their tongue. If you don't think that the tongue is a dangerous part of your body, then you need to read James chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature Can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when I was a kid, I first read that. I said, Well, I don't think anybody has tamed a lion. But then, taking a look at YouTube, it's really interesting how even lions have been tamed by human beings. For example, they had a little film. The woman had come to the lion and helped it to escape from a trap when it was very young. The woman didn't see the lion then for about 15 years. But when she showed up and he was on the other side of the fence, he recognized her, ran to her and put his paws through the fence in order to grasp her and hug her. I mean, it was really wonderful. And that was a lion who indeed had been tamed, tamed by mankind. But you can't tame the tongue. Because with it, James says, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, James writes, comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. That's really following what Solomon has written in Proverbs. So, thanks for listening to chapter 4, and we see the parts of the body... Used properly by the Christian, as this will happen when we get to heaven. I'm Tom Baker. Join us tomorrow, where we will be talking on another subject of interest. Until then, God bless you.